welcome back to another episode of the Buffalo Happy Hour. Mike, what's going on? Derek, we are back with our friends, and we have uh, individual dietitian interviews, which we've told our audience we would do. So we are back, and we're excited to dive in to a specialty which is impacting more people than you would imagine in Western New York. So do you want to reintroduce yourself quickly and then specifically your specialty mm-hmm. or first interest since you've obviously expanded and dive into more things? But Sure. Uh, my name's Noelle Citarella and registered dietitian nutritionist. I work at Dent Tower and I would say my specialty is um, neurological nutrition, but I kind of dove into the field initially studying multiple sclerosis and the impacts diet um, can have on that disease process. So I started out working on a thesis with a physical therapist. So we were kind of doing both, like how does diet and physical activity impact uh, multiple sclerosis? And then after that, I kind of stuck with that niche. I started working at a physical therapy clinic that specializes in neurological disorders. And those PTs also spent a lot of time researching MS and physical activities impacts on MS, but they also appreciated how much nutrition could do too. So it was great working alongside them. And then I kind of moved over to Dent where I figured I could be more impactful being close to the um, MS clinic there. And I also get lots of referrals from UB Neurology and work with those neurologists as well. What made you get into MS in the first place? Was it just an interest of yours at the time when you're researching neurological things? Yeah. Okay. It was purely just the start was with research. Um, I do have two family members. Um, I actually never met them because they're my dad's um, uncle and aunt that I never met. And it was interesting that they both had MS. So um, they obviously didn't know they had MS when they got married or that they were going to get it, but they both ended up having MS when they got older. And nobody else in our family has had it, which is also kind of rare because usually there is a genetic susceptibility, um, but that's just random. And Can you just define what MS is and kind of what we're talking about with yeah, this? Yeah, absolutely. So it is a autoimmune disease and it's a uh, demyelinating disease. So basically myelin is the protective layer that covers up our nerve fibers in our central nervous system. So th- it includes the brain and the spinal cord. And demyelination means your immune system is attacking that myelin and kind of breaking it down. Um, once that breakdown has kind of gone you know too far then you get damage to the nerves underneath the fiber um, which then is what leads to symptoms which is why ms looks so different for everybody a because it's autoimmune mediated which autoimmune is your immune system attacking self-tissue and the immune system is very unpredictable so what is a trigger for one person may not be a trigger for somebody else Um, And there's so many things that impact immunity. We can kind of talk about that piece separately, I guess, um, too. And then the neurological component, because it really depends on what part of the central nervous system is impacted, how that is going to, you know, show up as a symptom. And there's different types of MS. So you can have relapsing remitting MS, which means you have a flare, but then the disease process goes into remission and you may have full recovery from what you were experiencing when you were in a flare. Um, And then kind of the progressive stages of MS is when you have that flare, um, you may have loss of maybe mobility or 
whatever the symptom might be that you're managing and you don't get a full recovery. You may get some recovery or it may continue to progress, whatever you're dealing with. So last time we talked, we kept talking and every single like answer to the question was it depends. So I'm going to try yeah. to phrase the questions today where it doesn't depend, but it's, it's inevitable. I think with because we're humans, right, it's always going to depend mm-hmm. because there's so many variables. Uh, what does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland, for innovators everywhere, visit highland.com. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. I mean, even thinking about autoimmunity in general, like if you're very, very stressed, stress can be a mediator to trigger an autoimmune flare. So someone else with the same exact condition who doesn't have stress in their life or, you know, some people say they don't, Mm -hmm. but I don't know if I believe them. Um, But, you know, everything's going wonderful for them. And maybe they have a viral exposure that is a trigger for them or some other type of, you know, immune mediating trigger. And then diet. That's another big one. That was my question. So can someone's diet essentially cause you to start having or get diagnosed with MS? Because there's healthy people that, quote unquote, do the right things, and then Mm -hmm. they still are burdened with MS. Mm -hmm. Yep. So the question is really complicated because I don't think anybody can say why someone got MS. So it depends. Yeah, but I mean, nobody nobody can say, hey, this is why you ended up getting MS, right? Okay. Um, there's a number of things. I mean, when I meet people that maybe it's a new MS diagnosis, we sit down, we're talking, and they might say, oh, I feel like this is what triggered it. And it could have been a life event, like something traumatic, or it could have been a really stressful time in their life where, yeah, my sleep was really poor, my stress was really high, I was eating like all convenient stuff just because of the time. And it seems like things just got worse from there. And it may have started out with really small symptoms, um, which a lot of times with MS, there are similar initial symptoms like the numbness, tingling, fatigue. Um, And then from there, it kind of gets a little bit more specific everybody has a different symptom Um, but you don't I don't think people get diagnosed right away like the onset of it was probably already underway before they end up getting diagnosed if that makes sense yeah absolutely that's fascinating it's wild too how treatment has changed because it used to be um I, I mean, the, the easiest example is one of my closest friends had it, and he got diagnosed when we were in fifth grade. And it was like this huge thing. It was fifth or sixth grade. And I was like, what do you have to do? And he was telling me about the shot that he had to get and how mm-hmm. often he had to get it. And now there's so many different treatments that it's not just like a shot anymore. Mm-hmm. I was like, where did that whole thing come from? And then he kind of kept me in the loop. 
over the course of the you know the last two decades, it's it's essentially just because of funding, and then all the research that is behind it now, trying to better understand how this whole thing happens, why it happens, and then how we can make it better, mm-hmm. or just not as traumatic, essentially. So the part of MS, the some of its lesions on the brain, right? Isn't that part yes. of it? Does yep. nutrition help that part at all, or is it more subsiding some symptoms that affect like your nerves and your arms and legs and stuff? So I would say that I think that it does. I've seen people that you know when they're going back and getting repeat scans, the lesion load looks lighter, but it's to me also a reflection of whole lifestyle. Like what else are they doing? Mm-hmm. Usually people who are you know, in my office ready to make changes, they're ready to commit to multiple lifestyle changes, whether it's working on improving sleep quality, reducing stress, meditation, but also committing to dietary changes, which the hard part is it may not, I may not have the exact same thing um, being implemented with each patient. So it's kind of, I meet them where they want to be met. So some people it's like, just tell me what to do. I'll do whatever diet you think is best for me. Let's start there. Where others, it's like, here's what I'm currently doing. You tell me, you know, where the research is and we can decide small steps. Like, what are we going to implement first? And usually it's based on what they're managing. So if someone comes to me and they're like, look, constipation is like a huge impact on my quality of life. Like I'm so uncomfortable all the time. Um, What can I do? We'll definitely start there. And yeah, diet definitely plays a big role, hydration. So it really depends what each person is kind of managing. Are there certain rules if you do have it? Just I know that it probably all depends, but at a large scale that you shouldn't have this type of food. We were talking about cheese last time because mm-hmm. that's, it has the molecular form or makeup of the myelin, right? So yes. are, are there certain, are there other foods that have that same do, avoid characteristic or is it, again, all depends? Well, okay, I'll tell you, not that it all depends, but I'll just say that there are common triggers. So not everybody, like I said, is going to have the same thing, but the two predominant that I would say are like the big, right off the bat, I would say it's worth it. Even if my patient is kind of skeptical, I would say just give it a try, like at least four weeks, stick to gluten-free, dairy-free. At Both of those can kind of mimic um the myelin Mm. and cause that immune mediated response. So it's more complicated too than just like gluten and dairy are bad, stay away because it also has to do with the health of your GI tract. And if you think about, you know, this is an autoimmune mediated process and most of your immune cells are in the gut, your gut health has a huge role in what's going to trigger an immune flare. So, um, have you guys heard of leaky gut? Is that what the, um, alveoli being clogged and then you can't absorb certain things and then it kind of like leaches out of the absorption portion of the intestine or am I completely wrong? No. Sounded good. Yeah, it sounded I'd great. I believe you. We were in Santa Claus from a dietitian. So <laughs> it, it can, yes, mess up with digestion, absorption of nutrients. Crush it, dude. Like that. You Let's could go. think of like your skin. It's epithelial layer, right? A protective barrier. It keeps things out of your body, right? Um, your GI tract has the same thing. The, the liner. Mm-hmm. Okay. So microvilli would be, I think, what you were re- kind of referring to. But They're the hands that grab the nutrients out of the food, right? I like that. <laughs> That's not exactly what it is, but I like that. <laughs> okay. Try. Um, Try. So 
the microvilli you could think of like fingers yeah for sure because it's increasing um like the surface area of your digestive tract so you can get more contact with the food um, touching your digestive tract so really what's going on with leaky gut is think of your epithelial barrier you want it nice and tight nothing's getting in when you have chronic low-grade inflammation this barrier can become loose there are two things that go on here it could be just chronic low-grade inflammation causing that or also you don't tolerate gluten well and there's a breakdown of the tight junctions because of the gliadin and gluten so if you have a breakdown pieces of food that normally wouldn't be getting through are now able to pass through so you can have pieces we'll say you know we'll call it a piece of the proteins getting in and that's where the molecular mimicry might come into play because your immune system like i said it's a lot of it's in the gut like 70 percent and we have cells that are constantly surveying what's there and so if they sense these particles and they're like hey what's this doing here and it looks kind of similar to something they already have an antibody against then they're going to mount an attack and say hey t memory cells this antigen looks familiar let's you know rev up this th17 immune response and then you get inflammation so when it comes to food standard is this more common on the western side of the globe than in europe just because the food here is horrendous compared to other places because i don't know of anybody in europe who has a gluten tolerance and they eat bread all the time so there is definitely evidence that the prevalence is rising in other places around the world. And I don't know if that's because Everything's food processed. is changing mm-hmm. everywhere around the world. Maybe diagnostic standards are getting better, so more people are getting diagnosed. Like looking at you know, other countries around the world, maybe they don't diagnose as much as we do here. Um, so there's lots of theories out there. There's also like the... Um, germ theory right we're mm-hmm. like we're so clean we're not putting bugs in our gut that should be there and maybe that's what's throwing off our immune system and maybe that's why other people's guts are a little bit i guess stronger or something mm. like that but again theories right we don't know exactly what causes someone to get ms per se but we know what the risk factors are so there's genetic risk factor there's exposure to viruses so epstein bar virus there's like a 34-fold increase of risk of getting MS if you've been exposed. Uh, What's Epstein-Barr virus? Um, just a virus, kind of like, um, I mean, coronavirus. I'm sure oh, in the okay. future we're going to say, oh, if you had coronavirus, you have gotcha. increased risk of XYZ. Um, so just another virus that you can get. Um what else vitamin d deficiency so where you're at in the world latitude that's everything low low vitamin d impacts so many different things well vitamin d impacts your immune system function Mm -hmm. so functions as a transcription factor so it's telling your dna how to do how to respond to something right and if you don't have enough vitamin d to upregulate the anti-inflammatory immune response the pro-inflammatory stuff is going to go haywire, right? You want balance. It's all about balance. Is that why they, it seems like Western New York is somewhat of a hot spot for MS. Is that mm-hmm. why specifically vitamin D or is it other nutritional deficiencies? So vitamin D is definitely a huge one. And it's funny because I hear patients tell me all the time, like, oh, my doctor says everybody's 
vitamin D deficient. And I'm like, yeah, but just because everybody is doesn't mean it's okay. Right, it's not <laughs> yeah, the right. thing to do now. <laughs> like, let's just supplement some vitamin D and get your levels back up where it, they should be. Exactly. Because that's more protective and more anti-inflammatory. Um, but there are other, you know, potential reasons environmental, right? So toxin exposures are also thought to play a role. Um, mercury toxicity, um, there is some evidence too, um, specifically for this area, that there was like a hot spot actually in Rochester where like this high number of people ended up getting MS and they all worked in the same factory. So I feel like, yes, there's probably genetic susceptibility, but you also had an exposure to something that overburdened your immune system. How long has MS been around? Like, That's do we know? A, I don't know exactly. That's a good question, but a long time. Okay. When did the nutritional part of it start being studied? Probably like the, probably before the 50s, but Swank was like one of the first um, researchers, and that was in the 50s, and it was all low fat. Hillary Swank? Yeah, exactly. No. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> no, she hasn't been around that long. Yeah, she's just low key hammering out all the research. <laughs> but, um, it's interesting because his research was all on low fat, low fat, low fat. And he was really claiming that all the people that he followed up with long term, and he was following people for years throughout their life, these people that had MS that followed low fat diet had better outcomes. And now it seems like the research is kind of flopped where yeah. it's all high fat, high fat because we're looking to support like mitochondrial function, decrease neuroinflammation, and excess carbohydrates is definitely associated with both of those. But I think that those were different times. But Lifestyles might have been different. Which fats, though, are they trying to push now? So there's no specific. I would say, um, well, I, I'll tell you, I don't know how to describe it because there's – what I know from research that's super beneficial for immune health, like oleic acid from olive oil, mm -hmm. actually promotes T regulatory cells. So you could think in your immune system, you have all these different types of cells and you have pathways. You can kind of like upregulate which pathway is going to, that cell is going to become another type of cell. So you think like, okay, we're starting with this naive T cell. It can become a Th1, Th2, Th17, or T regulatory. And there's a couple other ones, Th9, but these are like the main systems. And Th17 is like the immune mediated, autoimmune mediated kind of reaction, which is most upregulated for autoimmune conditions like MS. T regulatory, think regulatory, you kind of want to regulate everything and promote balance. Um, that actually promotes tissue tolerance, like self-tissue tolerance. So it keeps your immune system from recognizing self-tissue as an antigen. Um, so things that upregulate T regulatory cells being made, so your little naive cell, you, there's evidence that oleic acid from olive oil pushes that pathway, right? So hmm. it's, you get more T regulatory cells. Um, but I wouldn't say that's like the big push in kind of like the popular diets, I guess, that are out there. It's really based on am I in ketosis? Am I in a mild ketosis? Am I high ketosis? Um, because there is some evidence that that can be beneficial for some neurological conditions. And there are some, you know, small studies, but some studies that do show that there are benefits. So that's the interesting part. I didn't know if it was like a 
a trans fat versus saturated fat, and then research is showing having an increased level in one or the other is beneficial. Um, but then you brought up the really good point of ketosis, which we should probably define mm -hmm. because I don't know if everybody understands ketosis, but you're saying that maintaining a, a certain level of ketosis is good. So can you define what ketosis is on, on a generic level and then how you would maintain that during the day? Yeah. So generic level just means your body is using fat for fuel instead of carbohydrates. Um, so most people, we all have metabolic flexibility. We can use fat and carbs as fuel. We can use protein, but like really that's only in a severe stress state or like starvation state. You don't want to be using protein as fuel. Um, carbohydrates, the easiest fuel source to use that you're, if you have carbs coming in and you think you're following a keto diet, your body's going to use those for fuel. Um, so how do you maintain ketosis? You really severely limit carbs. It's going to look different depending on what type of keto diet you're following. Like if you are not utilizing MCT oil, um, the carbohydrates will have to be restricted like 20 grams of carbs or less. And just for reference, one slice of bread is like 15 grams of right. carbs. Uh, one medium fruit is like 15 grams. Of yeah, carbs. I mean, it, you're so eating goat food. Yeah, I mean, we all have that friend named Kyle that thinks he's doing ketosis, eating bacon and steak every day for like every single meal. But that's not what you're talking about. No. So <laughs> bacon and steak every day, you'll probably see some really high like uh, LDL cholesterol, things like that. Um, a real keto diet well, I'll just say a healthy version of keto diet would still be bulk of your plate is like leafy greens, maybe some broccoli, some asparagus, um, a small amount of protein, because if you eat too much protein, your body will turn that into carbohydrates, gluconeogenesis, um, but lots of fat, which some people are not that comfortable with, because if you were to look at a plate, it would be, you know, maybe a small, like three or four ounce portion of salmon, some broccoli, um, maybe two ounces of olive oil and a cup of cream. Maybe you make a cream sauce like for the salmon, right? And your veggies. It's a lot of fat. Um, some people like prefer smoothies and throw MCT oil in the smoothie or in their coffee, however they want to get it in. Um, so this is an actual sustainable lifestyle though, or this should be kind of cycled on and off? You can cycle on and off. You can do mild ketosis, which is honestly, I don't have a lot of patients I work with with MS that were utilizing like a, a strict keto diet to help manage their symptoms. Um, I have a couple patients that that's what they wanted to do, so that's what we're doing. Um, and we definitely supplement some things to make sure they have adequate fiber coming in. Um, they're absorbing all their fats well. Um, Sometimes people will need some additional support, like bile acids and things like that. Are there certain frequencies where you follow, like we have a checkpoint every three weeks, or again, does it depend on the person and their severity of it? It depends on the person, definitely. I would say um, like average would be like monthly to every two months. Um, in the beginning, especially if someone's starting a keto, it's probably a little more frequently and They'll reach out if they have questions or concerns, like in between appointments too. Mm -hmm. How often does new? We were talking about um, the actress that created the first study, but the uh, how often <laughs> does new nutrition actually change? Is it because we're focusing on short term results before, and now we're kind of looking at long term, or how does nutrition change for this type of a study? 
Um, that's a great question. I honestly feel like the Swank diet, he was looking at long term. Like he was following these participants throughout their life and following up with them to see what is their mobility, how what's their quality of life, what's their there's like a severity score for MS and he would go through everything and kind of rank where are these participants at. And I think now it's just, you know, I guess because the ketogenic diet really didn't kick off and like get that much research and get too much attention. Um, and now that it is, it's being applied to other neurological conditions because epilepsy was kind of the first um, neuro condition that it was used for. Hmm. And now people are looking at, okay, well, what else can we utilize this for? Um, but there's also patients that it won't work for. Um, some patients really can't metabolize fat well. Maybe they you know, don't have a gallbladder. Maybe they have enzyme insufficiencies that won't allow them to shuttle fat into their mitochondria to oxidize it for fuel. Thyroid issues. Yeah, that too. That's crazy. So does diet impact um, epilepsy? Absolutely. That's insane. How? So I thought it was just lights, like blinking and flashing. No. So there's actually, like you can think of all of the mitochondria in your brain and if you are kind of overburdening, I guess, the mitochondria with carbohydrates, um, we are creating byproducts from just normal metabolism. And so you don't want to do anything that's going to excite or like trigger inflammation in the brain. And the ketogenic diet has been used for uh, probably the longest time for epilepsy. And it really does keep the epileptic seizures down. Wow. Because of the carbohydrates. Or the lack of carbohydrates, carbohydrates. yeah. Yeah, yep. Wow. And I don't know if you, have you guys heard of the Charlie Foundation? Mm -mm. I don't know the name of the movie, but there's a... Chocolate Factory. No, there's a kid named Charlie, though, that had epilepsy. And when his epileptic seizures were managed so well by the keto diet, his dad, I guess he was like a Hollywood producer or something, actually made a movie and like kind of tried to shed light on it. That's wild. Mm -hmm. Is it... So it's definitely the lack of carbohydrates, right? Not the excess of, um, or the excess of fats and proteins that cause, or that help? That help, okay. yeah. Um, and it's not even an excess of protein. So protein and carb, it's actually right. pretty low. It's like um, the standard would be like one to one ratio, fat to carb and protein, mm-hmm. um, or four to one fat, four carb and protein, one. So there's like different tiers of the diet, um, but ha- yeah. Have you d- dealt with people with vitiligo before? Mm-mm. No. So vitiligo is the like the changing of the skin. You just don't have pigmentation in your skin. Mm-hmm. Joe Rogan has. We're basically the same person. But he kept talking <laughs> about how um, he would just eat a ton of meat. Like his diet was full of meat, and it reversed some of his vitiligo. And I don't know if you ever heard of that before. Mm-mm. Well, I guess I'm we not should gonna try. I'm going to have so, to dive into the research now, yeah. go down all the rabbit holes. Because it is an autoimmune thing. Mm-hmm. I, I'm pretty sure it is because this it's just you don't create pigment. Mm-hmm. And it's to deal with trauma or stress or something. I don't know what I'm talking about. I just looked it up but real that's quick. This, yeah, trauma and stress can be an immune trigger, right? Maybe I should try keto. When did, when did that start? This? A while ago. I, I think What's I just, a while ago? I started noticing it when I was in my teens because I would oh. I was punt, uh, using my punching bag a lot. And that's where it first started was because trauma to my mm-hmm. knuckles. Yep. And then that's when the um, the pigmentation just started leaving. 
and now it's just like expanding which i don't care about but it, it was interesting because rogan said that and he said that his nutrition being more focused on meats and steaks and elk and all that stuff was reversing and clearing some of it up now he said it wasn't sustainable so eventually it would come back but it was just mm-hmm. fascinating and i was wondering if you ever heard of that before no i haven't but i think you said something that i think is important always to kind of like touch on with autoimmune conditions um you said reversing and there are a lot of people that say like oh i reversed my xyz or i cured it and to me i feel like that's a little bit misleading only because sometimes people will go into something expecting like okay this is going to cure or get rid of my symptoms Um, but really the goal with lifestyle nutrition stress management all of that is to suppress it as much as possible which might mean that you know your symptoms are not rearing their heads and maybe they never do again and that's awesome but it might mean like my symptoms are just less severe or less frequent mitigated Um, yeah exactly so when you're meeting with a client and you're trying to gauge how quote successful their nutritional plan is are you looking Mm -hmm. for flare-up frequency like how are you gauging the success of somebody's nutritional plan Mm -hmm. well one is just um how are they feeling because a lot of times they will report like, oh, I feel really inflamed. Like, oh, my joints, so joint stiffness, uh, muscle stiffness, uh, pain are commonly reported. Um, Definitely like GI symptoms also very commonly reported. So I'm following up on whatever the things, so we have like a multiple symptoms questionnaire. So we go through like all body systems and kind of the patients are rating how frequent, how severe these things mm. are happening. So then when you follow up, we kind of review those same systems, how frequent, how severe. So it's perceived. It's not like a perfect system. But then there's also when they're following up with their neurologist, when they're doing MRIs, mm. I mean, they can see is there, you know, um, any changes even in like brain volume are there changes in the lesion load um so there's different ways to kind of gauge it so if someone's newly diagnosed with ms and they come down and sit with you and go through the entire consultation initially Mm -hmm. how many times should someone expect to sit down with you to go over things based on i'm sure it all depends on the individual but okay so it does it is it based on the severity of their uh case with ms well, I think the other thing that's super important is change will take time. Like you, one thing I kind of remind some people, depending on the person, again, it all depends. But for most people thinking like you've been working your whole life on getting to the point where you're at now. Mm-hmm. So we're not going to, you know, change drastically quickly. It's, you know, make the changes stick with them. And over time, you're going to see the benefits. Some of the benefits are pretty quick. Um, A lot of times people with MS are managing other comorbidities. So maybe it's hypertension, diabetes, uh, maybe they're looking to lose weight, um, so many different other comorbidities that they may be managing. And there is research, strong evidence that if they aren't managing those other comorbidities, the MS symptoms actually are worse. And it's likely because of that systemic inflammation and those inflammatory cells or cytokines can cross the blood brain barrier and increase neuroinflammation. So I think, um, 
I guess to go backwards to your question, initial visits are pretty long, like two hours, because I tell them like, I want to get to know you, um, see, you know, what your past is, what your diet pattern is like, lifestyle. And then I also like to tell them like, these are a lot of the things that are shown to be beneficial for MS. And then where do we want to start? So I'm partnering with them. They're kind of making the decision of you gave me the information, you got to know me. So we can look at where are the areas of opportunity? Where can we implement some change and see a benefit? Is there an an average timeline? It depends. But is there an average timeline of how long it takes somebody to detox their body and kind of reset after doing a new nutritional plan? Is it like a month time frame where you'll start noticing some differences or is it shorter or longer? So I would say the average like time to see some differences would be about a month. But for some people, depending on what they're managing, it could be a whole year before things are kind of, I want to say completely resolved, but I don't mean like the disease process is gone. It's just that your symptoms are managed optimally. It could be a long time. There's just so much. Mm -hmm. There's so much. I, I don't know how... Are you like taking notes on each individual's per each individual person's experiences and then analyzing that to improve in the future? Because that, that has to be just so many data points on every person that that would just... be so much time. I would love to do it. <laughs> I wish that like the EMR I used pulled all that information for me. That would be awesome. But I think that would be like a research project in and of itself that would require a lot of extra time but maybe a project for the future for sure because yeah. i mean the information is all there i have it all documented but kind of putting it all together and doing statistics on it yeah do you work with dent or even ub like the students to partner and get research done no because that would be fascinating mm-hmm. and somebody would love to do that i'm sure because why not yeah you're right. essentially doing your own case study well, there was a new study that just came, or the study that just came out that said cancer, not like cured, but they found a. I didn't read the whole oh, study. Oh, colorectal cancer. Yeah, right. Yeah, so they're treating it in a new way that they hadn't treated it before, and it's a small study. Which the researcher on it herself was like, I honestly don't think in the future when we do a larger you know, population size, it's going to be a hundred percent efficacy. She's like, but I, who knows, maybe I'll be biting my tongue in the future. I don't know, but it was a hundred percent efficacy, which is crazy. Is there probably Hillary Swank's sister, right? Yeah, really just crushing it. That whole family. (laughs) Is there a, like something like what we're drinking right now? We should probably talk what we're drinking right now because you were gracious enough to bring us drinks. Is there something that we all should be doing outside of like making sure we're taking vitamin D, like should we be drinking probiotic drinks? What's the benefit of doing that? So it's not that you have to drink probiotic drinks, but we should be eating probiotics in our diet somehow, whether it's in a drink or a fermented food. Um, You can make homemade fermented foods. Um, What's an example of a fermented food? Sauerkraut is an easy one. It's cabbage, and you just put a lot of salt on it and kind of <laughs> massage it and shove it in a container or jar and close the lid and burp it every couple every day, I guess. Burp it? Yeah, because it's making CO2 as a byproduct, so you don't want your jar to explode. Oh. And there you have sauerkraut. It's simple. Is there anything else? Um, Fermented food. Kimchi, uh, beverages, 
kombucha. Um, this one is not kombucha, but I was explaining to you guys, it's less acidic than kombucha, so I prefer it. Um, this hashtag is, not a sponsor, but if you want to send her some free stuff, you can. <laughs> this is much better than this is delicious. kombucha. So what is the actual like molecular property of something that's fermented that helps people? There are live active cultures in it. So think, you know, I don't know if you guys ever remember this, but I can remember as a kid, like anytime anybody took antibiotics, they'd be like, oh, you have to eat yogurt afterwards Mm. to put some probiotics back in. Um, This is like that. The only difference with these is these are bacillus strains of microbes, and those are spore-based, so they have a very high likelihood of surviving the stomach acid. Well, they can survive the stomach acid. They can survive high heat. They'll get into the gut. Um, Bacillus strains also are really neat because they can use quorum sensing and sense what other strains um, and yeasts are around and they can make targeted antimicrobials against like pathogenic strains so you could think this is like kind of keeping the balance in your gut of healthy microbes versus maybe less beneficial microbes so indirectly it also helps promote the proliferation of like your lactobacillus and bifido strains which are beneficial the right when i hear probiotics the first thing that i think of is like those danon yogurts that Mm -hmm. said probiotic across the label but they probably weren't like that good for you because it was still yogurt is greek yogurt good so when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply save big on brunch for mom all in the kroger app get 16 ounce packs of flavorful angus 90 percent lean ground sirloin for 4.99 each with a digital coupon then buy two get two free on 12 packs of delicious coca-cola pepsi or 7-up all with your card Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Here's, I guess what, um, we didn't go into He's shaking his head yes and she's like, eh, not really. No, it's, it's a great source of protein. As long as you tolerate dairy, I think it's perfectly fine to include in your diet. So... As long as you tolerate dairy, to me, the gold standard is elimination diet, add the foods back in one at a time. And gluten and dairy would be the minimum if you're going to do an elimination diet, and then you add those in one at a time. Um, But you could do like a six-food elimination diet, um, kind of eliminate all of the inflammatory foods. Caffeine is out too, alcohol, and it's short term, like four yeah, four weeks. Can't do that. <laughs> you had yeah, me at dairy and gluten. I'm like, all right, I could I could put up with that. As soon as you said a caffeine and alcohol, I'm out. I got I got to go home. <laughs> we wouldn't function as a business. Yeah. <laughs> That's ninety five percent. Short term, remember? Four weeks. You can survive four weeks. I don't know. You that. said four to six. Yeah. If we're pushing it to the right, I'm gonna we'll start have to trembling. pre-record. If we're wearing the same shirt, <laughs> mind your business. <laughs> so I think. Um, I guess there's a lot of it depends as always, but yeah, it's a healthy food. It's a good source of protein as long as you tolerate dairy. But that's why I'm shaking my head. Yeah. With that though, I mean, they have so many different types of it. There's Mm -hmm. low fat and there's whole milk. Mm -hmm. 
I accidentally got whole milk one day and it was delicious, much better than the low fat. But is that mm-hmm. like how much does the low fat versus non-fat skim, how much is that actually healthy or they're just replacing it with something else? They're not really replacing it with something okay, else, good. but there are some yogurts that have a lot of sugar in it. So let's say for my patients, even let's say non-dairy yogurts, because you can get coconut yogurt, almond milk yogurt. There's oh. lots of options out there. It's actually good. I had coconut yogurt the other day, put it, it on is. my taco as a sour cream alternative, crushed it, mm-hmm. and it was really delicious. Oh, sucking up. <laughs> Wipe your nose or some brown on it. Have oh you had goodness. it? What, yogurt as a sour cream no, alternative? No, coconut yogurt. No. Oh. Non-dairy yogurt. No. Well, don't I knock just, it till you try it. Thank you. It's not that I'm knocking it. I was knocking him <laughs> for being obnoxious. <laughs> I'm not opposed to it. I'm just old school when it comes to Greek yogurt. It's just amazing. And there's nothing better than a bowl of Greek yogurt with absolutely fresh fruit cut up on top with honey and for granola. breakfast granola if, is amazing if you wanted yeah soy boy i'm just obsessed with greek yogurt fresh fruit and honey it's the perfect breakfast to me okay so if you were <laughs> she's like dairy I don't intolerant care. <laughs> you just replace that with a non-dairy alternative and same thing right yeah there's just so much when it comes to nutrition <laughs> i i could literally talk to you for hours but I what would i say yogurt like the the big thing with that is just try to limit like the amount sugar yogurt okay because plain yogurt is perfectly fine if it's full fat if it's low fat if it's no fat um you could think of you know your total calories for the day you need some kind of variety of carbs protein and fat so if you have a lot of other fat in the day maybe full fat yogurt isn't a good choice because it's like putting you over the limit calorically or too much fat for that day. But if you have room in your diet for full fat yogurt, it's perfectly fine. Okay. Mm-hmm. So are we talking about sugars? Or are we talking about added sugars or both? Added sugars. Okay. So natural sugars that you like, you look on the label and it says total sugar is nine grams. That's fine because it only includes one gram of added sugar. So conceptually, if that was reverse, you probably would want to stay away from that. Correct. Gotcha. Yep. What are added sugars? Is it literally just like pouring sugar in? Yeah, it's it's white cane sugar that they add to it when they make the product. It's horrendous for you. But added sugar could be a number of things. It could be brown rice syrup. It could be coconut sugar. It could be cane sugar, brown sugar, honey, um, molasses. It all counts as added sugar. Mm. What's Just to get back to the, the neurological, I'm, everything that we're talking about affects your neurological system 100%. But specific neurological uh, diseases that you deal with, we talked about multiple sclerosis, sclerosis, we talked about epilepsy. What are other common diseases that you're experiencing that like nutrition really helps with? Um, I see a lot of Parkinson's patients, and I've also worked with patients that are status post-stroke. So there's definitely like the prevention piece where you, if you had a stroke, you're absolutely 100% like the main goal is let's not have another stroke. Mm. So how do we prevent? Um, And Parkinson's is kind of similar. So stroke nutrition therapy is a little bit different than like other neurological, um, where Parkinson's is a little bit more similar to what I would be working on with my MS patients. Um, But I guess to me, not to like throw out information, but um, with even MS diet pattern, we talked about like ketogenic diet, but I think in terms of like, what are the kind of like, what's the baseline place to start? Um, 
I always like to look at that first before it's like, hey, let's go into this therapeutic diet that may not be best for you because like I mentioned, keto may not be the right diet plan for everybody. Um, So like the fiber component and what we're eating has a huge impact on our microbial diversity and the microbiome plays a huge role in our immune system function. They're sending molecular signals to our immune cells too. So I think making sure you have a healthy gut is like the first step, first baseline. Um, Not everybody is going to tolerate every diet the same, but that's where I typically will start. Like how much phytonutrients is this person getting in their diet? Are they eating enough leafy greens? Are they eating enough sulfur-rich vegetables? Are they um, eating enough different colors? Because every different color is a different phytonutrient. Mm -hmm. And they do all act in different anti-inflammatory pathways in the body. So it's kind of like, you're making sure you're like fine-tuning or tuning up all the pathways that can help reduce that inflammatory upregulation that can lead to symptoms and symptom progression. So regarding... Plants are important. Mm. Absolutely. And then even when it comes to peppers, like bell peppers, orange is going to be different than green, Mm -hmm. which is also different than yellow. Mm -hmm. So when you really dive into the weeds about it, I'm going to decrease my green bell peppers and I'm going to increase my orange because I'm trying to focus on this. But most people need to realize that decrease your McDonald's and focus on any pepper. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Talking with you just makes me realize how unhealthy everybody. I I don't know if I ever I've I've ever known somebody that's doing things right. That's hard, though. Doing things right is different for everyone, right? I mean, McDonald's is never right. That's, yeah. And there's simple things to do, though. Like, if we're trying to shower our insides, right? Like, other than just completely modifying your diet. Is that a phrase? Yeah. You can do other things like drinking an aloe concentrate to clean your small intestine and your entire, your track so that by showering the inside of your body, you're able to pick up nutrients better, faster, and more efficiently. But most people don't even know that they could do that. They just think it's this massive, overwhelming task of changing their diet. And then if they change their diet, then everything is going to be, you know, hunky-dory. But I also don't think you just drink aloe. You do. And then you can drink an aloe Then you can just go back to McDonald's. Like, it's a lifestyle change. Oh, well, correct, correct. Yeah, Yeah, everything's a lifestyle change. And then you have to always – I'm sure for you it's exhausting having the same conversation of, like, look, this is minimally going to take 30 days. And they're just like – and they're all demoralized. (laughs) I don't feel good now. Yeah, I thought it was going to take three days. It's like, you know, sweetheart, it's going to take a minute. Well, I think, you know – I guess probably one thing you have to have as a dietitian and I guess as the patient is patience, Mm -hmm. right? So we we don't have that. You have to be willing to meet people wherever they are and like be on that journey with them because it's really like their wellness journey. Everybody's is different. Do you like, are there what (laughs) I love? I just, everybody's, I just, I'm excited for that journey for you. It's our our journey. (laughs) Are there milestones that you can celebrate? Like this sounds so weird, but everybody wants to reach a milestone. And if you're, if you're trying to accomplish a, like a future uncertain goal Mm -hmm. of healthy, 
are there milestones where you're like, okay, in three weeks, you should start feeling good. So let's celebrate that. Well, levels, right? You can actually track even cholesterol. Like if you're here and then we're making these changes, that's going to be something that's achievable and actual data that they can take with them and stating that, you know, your levels have gone down here, here and here. That's progress. Like our milestone goal is here and you're actually working your way this way and we can track that and show it. So do you do that? Yes. In both ways. So there's labs. Absolutely. So if someone comes in, they have XYZ, maybe it's like, hey, this sounds like you could be also managing uh, hypothyroid or whatever it might be. So we look at other labs and then what we can do to increase or improve the labs. Maybe it's decreasing something. Um, But on the other side, there are the perceived things that with MS, there is no lab that's going to say, this is your level of fatigue. Mm-hmm. You cannot measure that. That's just what this person is living day to day, and it's their perceived level of fatigue. And so, like in an appointment, I might say, how would you rate your level of fatigue on average, like on a scale of 1 to 10? And they might forget what they said, and then it's months later, and I'm like, okay, so now how would you rate your fatigue on a scale of 1 to 10? And so they're giving another number, and I'll tell them, hey, last time you said it was this. And they're Hmm. like, oh, I did? Oh, it must have been really bad that time or Mm -hmm. whatever it might be. So it is, you know, not as scientific as looking at lab values, not as concrete, I guess, but you can't. No one knows what that person is feeling better than them. True. So if they are feeling better, then to me, it's working. And I'm happy that they feel better. Last time, again, we when we sat down, you gave an analogy that you were kind of like, I don't know if I want to give this analogy, but I loved the that analogy. Meadow? Yeah. So can you say that again for people that are just listening to this and not necessarily listen to that other interview? Mm-hmm. Um, it's my favorite analogy as well. I probably tell it to a lot of my patients. So if any of them are watching this, they're going to be like, I know this analogy. <laughs> Um, so you're imagining you're in a grassy meadow, right? And your biology is the grassy meadow. There's a huge ditch in the meadow and you can be standing anywhere in the meadow and you feel okay. But if you're in the ditch, it's like you're in a flare, you feel terrible, fatigue is really high, you know, whatever you're managing. So the goal is for you to be as far away from this ditch as possible and If you're living life on the edge of the ditch, every single time you are confronted with something like stress, a poor night's sleep, um, you got a virus, you get pushed forward, you fall in the ditch and you feel lousy. So if you're standing far away from the ditch and you have high stress, um, you get sick, you have a poor night's sleep, whatever it is that's nudging you forward, you're still in the grassy meadow. You have not fallen in the ditch. And when I say like the goal is to be as far away as possible, that's when we go through what are all the things that can nudge you forward? Where are you with these things? Are you physically active on a regular basis? Are you getting in, you know, exercise most days of the week? Um, Are you sleeping? You know, sometimes people are like, yeah, I sleep nine hours a night, but I'm getting up multiple times Mm -hmm. a night to use the bathroom or, you know, whatever it might be that's getting them up or maybe they have a really hard time falling asleep or they have a really hard time getting up in the morning and all these things might be related to hormone balance which can be impacted by stress and vicious cycle sleep will also impact your hormone balance and diet so we look at you know the whole thing what 
is keeping me far away from the ditch. And food is something that can push you towards the ditch, which I think is one of the things that's super frustrating for people is they're like, well, I ate this food before and I was fine. So why am I having a flare up when I eat this food now? Like what the heck is going on? And it may be that chronic low grade inflammation that's going on the whole time, nudging you closer and closer to the ditch that you can't feel. And then it's kind of like the perfect storm or like the cytokines are just so high. Now you have the flare, you fall in the ditch, you feel terrible. I love that analogy because you can easily have that perception that you're fine and you're doing well, Mm -hmm. but you're right on that edge and you can kind of, I'm sure that you can feel that you're close to that edge, right? I would assume that someone has to be able to be like, I I feel like I'm getting really close. How would they know where they are in that meadow? That's a good question because I've even seen patients sometimes where it's like they're feeling like they have inflammation and they're like, oh, I got my CRP levels, my SED rate, like everything is normal, but I have XYZ going on. And there are a number of other markers like interleukin-6, interleukin-1, TNF-alpha, all these things that are other inflammatory cytokines that are upregulated with MS. And I mean, I guess we're not measuring those in serum regularly to see what those levels look like um but blood work is also like that at that time point what were things Mm -hmm. looking like so it's hard to know sure the treatment plan for ms that we talked about this initially at first there's you can take like 47 pills in one sitting or whatever the one option is you can have an infusion or you Mm -hmm. can have a shot do any of those impact your nutrition plan, like if you get Ocrevus or something, you should maybe take this food. No, I don't do anything different specifically okay. for like which um, treatment that you know my patients are utilizing. But I will say this is another kind of sometimes a misconception. People will look at diet instead of medication, um, and I'm not saying that they can't do that. But I would always, you know, say whatever your treatment plan is that's your decision with your neurologist and nutrition is like a supplement to it if you're feeling so great that you want to try to get off your medication that's your decision with your neurologist and i wouldn't say like diet is the cure for ms but it definitely helps manage it enough and i've seen people do fabulous on it speaking of that you brought a resource Mm -hmm. let's touch on that because there's so much to everything so do you provide this to your clients is this just something that you have in your library um what is the book all about um so it's called the multiple sclerosis diet plan and cookbook it's basically the way i look at this for my patients is do you need help with recipe ideas here you go um it's what when i wrote it i was intending for it to be like family friendly but also fairly simple recipes so that people on like any end of the spectrum of MS would feel like comfortable preparing these recipes because if you have really high fatigue, you have any physical limitations, um, you're not going to want to stand in your kitchen for hours and prepare some intricate, mm-hmm. elaborate meal. Sure. So they're definitely um, plant forward. There's there are desserts in it. Nice. This one is one of my favorites. It's like a peanut butter pie. Um, but it's made out of tofu. This mousse part oh. is pureed tofu and peanut butter and dark chocolate with almond milk. And the crust is fantastic. It's three ingredients, um, dates, coconuts, 
and walnuts. You just pulse it up in your food processor and it's sticky from the dates, press it down. So technically there's no added sugar in it, but the dates are like nature's candy. Mm -hmm. So yes, it still has some sugar. It's definitely not a keto forward (laughs) um, recipe, but there's lots of stuff in here. Like there's a section of all seafood, which there is a... um, the diet plan they're like weekly planners to kind of again i just tell people use it as an idea mm-hmm. um but i do have lots of fish in there and it's super important because dha and epa is a type of fatty acid we don't get from other sources we have to get it from fish or if you're vegetarian algae i just have those patients supplement an algae supplement um, but basically this also serves as a reference like information what brought you here why did somebody want to purchase this book like maybe they have questions maybe they were recently diagnosed maybe they've had ms for a long time and they're like i'm not managing it well what could i do differently um so there's all types of different things in here so what is ms different types of diets so i do outline like the swank low fat diet the walls protocol which is modified paleo also uh keto forward um and a candida free diet. So to me, candida, I have patients that may have candida and manage that separately, but not everybody has candida. So to me, that one is a little bit, you know, I would use that specifically for people that need it. Um, Vitamins and minerals of importance. A lot of those, the reason why they're of importance is their specific role in immunity. So kind of supporting that self-tolerance immune, you can think of like your immune cells can shift like which types of cells are you favoring so you want to make sure you're upregulating the cells that favor self-tolerance instead of the cells that are going to promote attacking self-tissue um and then there's also like exercise recommendations mm. in here very very light just for people who maybe aren't exercising at all right now. And then there's also some meditation recommendations, um, how to stock your pantry. Um, This is kind of like my, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but I do this with my patients. Like how many servings of leafy greens do you eat in a day? And sometimes people say none. Like, oh, maybe I have it twice a week. How many cruciferous or sulfur rich? Because the sulforaphanes are really anti-inflammatory. They might not be eating any. which are easy examples because that's a big word. So for our audience that doesn't know what food <laughs> is that, <laughs> yeah, like broccoli's kale, garlic, cauliflower, cabbage, Brussels sprouts, those are Radishes, under that. yep. Yeah. Um, it's not in my list because the other piece of this is I try to keep this like non-exotic because I don't want someone to look at it and get turned off of like, Ugh, I'm never going to buy that food. Right. Put this book on the shelf. Um, try to keep it as like easy. You can find the stuff at any grocery store. But broccoli sprouts are like the richest source of sulforaphanes. Hmm. Very, very anti-inflammatory. So if you like sprouts, definitely opt for some broccoli sprouts here hmm. and there. Throw them in your salad, whatever you want to do with them. Is that your eggs? Where is that for sale? Is it for sale? Um, it's at Amazon and Target. And if you have an Amazon like Kindle account, it's free. That's sweet. We'll put a link below. I didn't know that. That's, I, did, I literally just saw, like, right before you opened it, that you wrote it. Yeah. Nice I thought shot. that you just, like, got a book about a cookbook. No. That's awesome. That's, that's huge. That's for you. <laughs> that's huge. This is sweet. Yeah. So, um, 
Thank you. It was definitely a big project, but... Well, clearly, it's a book. You wrote a book, and then your your letters are after yeah, your name. That's a project right there. It's yeah, just writing seriously. those letters. Look at that. <laughs> that's super cool. Thanks. Th- that's absolutely wild. So you, you wrote it just because, like... Are those your plates? Who did the photo shoot? No, I didn't. And actually, the girl who did the photo shoot reached out to me on social media, and I was like, thank you for doing cool pictures. And she said, thanks for the recipes. They were really good. I enjoyed them. I was like, yeah, awesome. Yeah, so to that, when you're creating a diet plan for multiple sclerosis, is there any deficiencies that somebody without multiple sclerosis has to worry about following this cookbook to a T or no? No. Okay. Mm-mm. So yeah, I would say not to cut you off. You're literally going to be eating this entire book. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> I would say like um, for the most part in general, a lot of the population and those with MS are probably not eating a lot of certain minerals like magnesium, zinc, um, certain vitamins. So I think eating, if you were following that, it would just be a general anti-inflammatory diet, mm. which would be beneficial for anybody. So olive oil, avocado oil, best fats you could possibly include. If you're following a keto diet, you're going to have more you know, variety of fats, definitely more saturated fat. But I would recommend like MCT oil to my patients on keto as well. A, it helps you kind of get into ketosis a little bit better, um, but it also a allows for a little bit more liberalization and how much carbohydrate you can tolerate and still or not tolerate, but how much you can eat and still be in ketosis. Um, that book is not a keto cookbook. It's just anti-inflammatory. Mm-hmm. So to me, that's like the starting point. If you are eating an anti-inflammatory diet, it's rich in plant foods, uh, moderate protein and healthy fats, and you're feeling optimal, maybe you don't have to go into ketosis. Um, there are other things that we didn't talk about, like intermittent fasting. That's a big one. Um, I do work on things like that with my patients, like, okay, improving sleep quality, for example. I'll always ask, like, what are you doing right before bed? Watching TV, eating snacks. Um, so those are, like, the two things we try to change. Maybe it's, like, okay, let's start with just 30 minutes before bed, no screen time. But for two to three hours before bed, try not to have anything to eat because that – tacking on those few hours there and then you're sleeping let's say eight hours that's your overnight fast there you know is evidence that fasting for certain populations is beneficial but even fasting like those 10 to 12 hours is going to promote autophagy which is an immune process that is programmed cell death which sounds like scary and bad but it's actually really good because you want your cells to die like in a planned way, they get cleaned up, and you rebuild, you repair, you have new cells. We are constantly regenerating new cells. If your cells are dying in this unplanned way, um, it can actually send out, it's called damage-associated molecular patterns, which increase inflammation. And it's like the opposite. We don't want our immune system recognizing those molecular patterns and you know, increasing those inflammatory cytokines. So... Yeah, don't eat before you go to bed, two to three hours. Intermittent fasting, I used to do that, and then now I don't, and I feel significantly worse now. I feel like I was better in intermittent fasting. So maybe your immune system was working more efficiently when you were fasting. Is there like a, because there's a range. You said maybe two to three hours before bed, and like that eight hours, nine hours, ten hours is an intermittent fast. But is there a larger range, like 16 hours? Mm -hmm. Is there a time where you maybe are going too long? 
you can, everybody's different. So I've had patients that really, really want to do like the intermittent fasting where they're only eating for like six hours of the day, but they're miserable. And so to me, it's not going to work for Mm -hmm. you. If you can't focus at work because you're daydreaming about food or you're hungry or you're tired, you're fatigued, don't do it. It is not worth it because you still can get the benefits of promoting autophagy and improving, you know, immune system function without the extra long fast. You got to, you got to think personally, you have to think too about the caloric intake that you would need because you're, you're a bigger dude with a frame and you'd be surprised how many calories you'd burn by just existing, right? Mm -hmm. Like just breathing. And then plus the exercise on top of it with the gym, it doesn't always make sense to do intermittent fasting. Just like, yeah, you might feel better, but your body may actually need more. So it might be smaller portions more often. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll talk about it. That's a really good point, too, which is one thing that I try to tell people. Think about on the micronutrient level. Like, you're talking about macros. You need this many calories. How could you get in all those calories in just this many hours? It's tough, right? You'd have to eat huge meals. And the quantity, well how much you're eating in one meal can impact things like your blood sugar and spikes in blood sugar can be neuroinflammatory. So just to bring it back to mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. MS type stuff. With the diet plan and nutrition, there there has to be a timing aspect to this all too, right? That we're not even touching is like the appropriate time to eat appropriate foods. Do you get that much into the weeds or not really? Not really. So well, basically um, what I like to try to do with my patients is just kind of reinforce that we are circadian beings. Are We're hardwired to want to eat when the sun is up and not when the sun goes down. Not that you have to start eating as soon as the sun rises <laughs> and you have to stop as soon as it sets because in the winter one. we'd be in trouble. Right. Um, you get out of work and you're like, dang it, I can't eat. But I think in general we should be eating during the day and not at night. And a lot of people eat very late into the evening and stay up very late. And that can be what's throwing off like those systems that are already in place that naturally want to function. Like our body wants to secrete melatonin at night. Our eyes are perceiving the sun going down. That's kind of starting off the cascade. People think melatonin is just like the sleepy time neurotransmitter, but it actually kicks off that cascade of immune processes. Mm. So it plays a huge role in your immune system too, which is why sleep is so important. Jeez. That's it, man. It's crazy. I'm super juiced up now. No pun intended. Because <laughs> we've been drinking yeah. Kavita. All right, no free shout outs. Again, you can send her some. Um, seriously, thank you so much. I, I know that there's probably so much that we haven't talked about. Is there anything burning that you wanted to get off your chest? Um, MS wise, uh, like just your, your job phone. It doesn't necessarily even have to be MS. I know that's your specialty, but anything. Mm, I would say, you know, eating as eating less processed food is probably like the best thing that you could just aim for as like a small goal to start to try to improve your diet pattern. Um, even like sometimes people are thinking like, oh, it's low calorie, so this should be good. But things that are low calorie may not always be healthy. Like rice cakes are a very high glycemic impact food. And so they're low calorie, but if you're eating a lot of rice cakes, you're still going to be spiking Mm -hmm. your blood sugar because it enters your system so rapidly. Um, kind of thinking about in terms of like nutrient density, um, you want to focus more on foods that are going to give you actual nutrients your body needs. So your mitochondria 
the powerhouses of all your cells that make ATP, make energy, require nutrients as cofactors to make energy. So even if you have like the carbs coming in from the rice cake, what other nutrients are there? Right. So like so put peanut butter on the rice cakes with bananas. Could, but and honey. See the honey and the bananas, more carbs. <laughs> just go just right to the roof. <laughs> all the all the sugars and chocolate. I would say limit the rice cakes, but also add the peanut butter. Um, chocolate is rich in polyphenols. I'm not against it. I'm Love a it. Strong proponent. As long as you don't have trouble with acid reflux, you should be fine. Chocolate morsels before bed. What are your thoughts? Well, chocolate also has caffeine. Well, I'm tired. I usually recommend <laughs> try not to have caffeine after, like, I don't know, 1 p.m. What? Derek, he just had a stroke. Yeah, I got to get my 2 o'clock coffee. Not no mo. Maybe it's a 1 o'clock coffee. <laughs> yes. There you I go. Like yeah, her. just shift it up. She's a trip. Do you deal with, uh, like, Alzheimer's and dementia and dysphagia? Yes. How does, yes. I, we're probably, like, 17 hours right now, but how does nutrition affect that? Significantly. So there's a lot of research, even with the ketogenic diet being beneficial for Alzheimer's. And so we do have, um, there's even mild cognitive impairment. I don't know if you've heard of that, but it's like early onset Alzheimer's basically, or Mm. what might become Alzheimer's. And there's evidence that ketogenic diet is also beneficial for that. Um, And it doesn't have to be like the typical keto diet that people think of. It can be mild ketosis. And to me, what I see as like the underlying common denominator against all of these different diets, because there's a lot of different diets out there, like the Bredesen protocol, they've done a lot of research with that for Alzheimer's. They say it's like, you know, reverse Alzheimer's with the Bredesen protocol. It's primarily plant-based. So you're eating a, a lot of vegetables. So if you were to eat, you know, seven to eight servings of non-starchy vegetables a day, so maybe like four cups daily, um, limit starchy vegetables, grains, and maybe limit fruit to like two servings maximum a day, adequate quality and variety of protein, and healthy fats. So the olive oil, avocado, definitely DHA and EPA from fatty fish. That's a huge component of like a cognitive decline program. Um, anybody's going to feel better eating that way. So it isn't something that you have, like if you're a household or a family and someone's managing something, just that one person doesn't have to eat that way. Everyone could eat that way healthfully. You'll have plenty of nutrients from all the vegetables, um, protein from your proteins, healthy fats. It's not going to be void of anything. So everything that we talked about, and just to kind of round out the conversation, this, the the diet plan cookbook, all the information that we talked about today, just a, a, a healthy lifestyle that still doesn't replace being able to come here and talk with you and getting a personalized plan. Because if we talked about this interview, the last one is everything depends. Mm-hmm. That's what this all comes down to. So nothing will beat coming down here and getting, getting an actual diagnosis per se on what you should be eating, right? Mm-hmm. And how do people get in touch with you to either book an appointment or just communicate with you to see if maybe this is something they want to do? Um, Our website is super easy to use, and it has like a link where you can go right to a patient portal, create an account, and set up an appointment. We, you can also call um, our administrative assistant. Reese will schedule you. um, I'd say either call or the website. So Buffalo Nutrition and Dietetics dot com is the website. do I 
tell them the phone number if they want to sure. call Go 716-704-0684 should if somebody is looking to get your help on something should they start tracking their food now that way when they come they have a sample of what they've been eating for the past two weeks they can that's super helpful okay. they don't have to um because when they sit down in office we can talk it out like what's your diet pattern there's also intake paperwork that they're going to fill out before we meet which is also super helpful for me because it's going to ask about you know their past medical history any medication they take because we didn't talk about that either but lots of people are taking medications and those do impact dietary choices so that would like you asked about ms medications specifically Mm -hmm. those i don't really have any specific changes but other medications i would um depending on what else they're managing so it's That's wild. Yeah. How do you know that? How do I know what? Like what medications impact what? You're you have to be so stressed. Are you okay? No. no I'm just kidding. Uh, I would say there's some that are very common. Like lots of people take proton pump inhibitors, for example. So I just know what those interfere with because lots of people take it. Um, like what ibuprofen. No, proton pump inhibitor would be something like omeprazole or pantoprazole. So for acid reflux. Mm. And it's reducing stomach acid, which is going to impact how your body can absorb um, magnesium, calcium. Uh, big one is B12 because you need the HCL to absorb B12. And it's meant to be a short-term medication, but a lot of people take it long-term. And they're taking it years and years and years, and then B12 deficient. Wow. That's crazy. So, yes, come down and get an actual consultation yeah, with her because there's just way too much going there's on. Too, too we, much. <laughs> we, how long have we been talking? Well over an hour. Yeah. We're at oh, an wow. hour, and, hour and 10, hour and 15. Yeah, so we can talk until we're blue in the face, but it's not going to help you really at a, at a molecular level. It's not going to help you until you come down and, and meet with her. So. No pun intended. Right. Love but it. what you could do now is try to eat less processed food, more plants. Base foods, lots of non-starchy veggies. And move. And fish. Movement is medicine. Yes, and definitely fish. That's move. interesting because a lot of people don't like fish. I know. And if they're just like, I'm not going to eat fish, I point them towards a great supplement. Fish oil. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And krill oil. Fish and krill. All right, we'll talk offline. Yeah, so also <laughs> go, we'll put a link down below of the Amazon link to buy this cookbook because, I mean, even if you don't have MS or any type of situation where you need to buy this cookbook you still should because it'll help you regardless of your situation yeah pb and j smoothie in here why wouldn't you want this there's less inflammation in your body why not (laughs) right i love this thank you so much thank you appreciate it everybody go check her out go to the website go to social media you have social media yeah you want to say it uh the the work handle yeah buffalo nutrition and dietetics is on facebook and then Nutrition with Noelle is on Instagram. But Buffalo Nutrition is coming to Instagram soon. Ooh. Love it. A little sneak peek there. Yeah. Well, <laughs> cheers. Thank you very much cheers. for everything. Appreciate your time. Thank, Thank you, everybody. to book flights and hotels. 
All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.